created live on Fireside. Hey, Hello. Danny. How are you? <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. How long were yes. you away? A month? No, just a week. It was just last week just somebody week. called in last second. <laughs> and then you were gone. Before. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, what a pleasure to have your company. We're back again for another edition of Doing It Sober Live. I proudly present to you my colleague, Barbara Bell Gittes, and I am Paul Lind. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Daniela Park, is at, Daniela Park at the ready. My name is Chris Nell. And without blinking, here is our guest, Lisa Romano. If you'll provide me with the privilege, I'll introduce our guest. For as long as the dawn of time, the social hierarchy has been stilted by abuse, either physical, emotional, psychological, even spiritual. Narcissism. Codependency and abuse are three subjects, all which involve being a fly caught within the spider's web with no escape in sight. A couple of questions arise. How does one move on Stockholm Syndrome, if so lightly put? Secondly, why does one feel so empty? And thirdly, why did it take so long, even for a pandemic, to highlight a social issue of grave importance? Therefore, let Lisa A. Romano provide the answers. A celebrated life coach and author, Ms. Romano has used both empathy and compassion to create a comprehensive coaching system designed to aid in combating the aftermath from the wrath of codependence and narcissistic abuse. So comprehensive, in fact, Ms. Romano has been merited as the most influential person of the year 2020 by Digital Journal, as well as the title of being a part of the top 10 most inspirational women of the year in the year of 2021 by Yahoo Finance. Her YouTube channel, Ooh. entitled Decent... Lisa A. Romano Breakthrough Life Coach Incorporated is forever strong with more than 400,000 subscribers daily. This has cemented her reputation as one of the most direct, empathetic, and compassionate professionals of the industry. So without needing to say furthermore, Lisa A. Romano, it's a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Welcome to it. For inviting me. I really appreciate this opportunity. I appreciate <laughs> we it. Love, um, we love when the experts come on. And I've been watching you for quite a while. You always have information that just kind of stuns me, actually, because it's just so just to the, the core, you know, it hits you right in the core because it's truthful. And every every one of us knows somebody that's um, a narcissist or has an alcoholic in their family or any of these type of things that you talk about that you're an expert in. So the first thing I want to say is I'd like to de dedicate this episode to my one of my best friends who just went into rehab today, who is struggling with oh, alcoholism. Wow. And we had an incident over the weekend and she bravely accepted the challenge to go into rehab today. And Fantastic. I just her because, you know, obviously alcoholism is a disease, but it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens with a family system. And one mm. of the mm. things that I want her to understand is that you can leave a system and get well, but you can't go back to the same system. So yes. I, think, uh, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding out there. You know, if you love an alcoholic or, you know, you look at a family, you think, oh, this person's an alcoholic. We also have to look at the family system. 
Mm. Right? I highly agree. Because there can't be enabling. There can't be denying. Not that we're blaming other people, but alcoholics will remain sick. They are sick. And so the people in the family that are sober have to make very real life sobering decisions. And so I just want to say thank you. It's just, it's very surreal for me to be able to be here because I just had a conversation with her literally four or five hours ago on, on the way to rehab. And it was a very emotional conversation. So it's super, super cool for me to be here with you all today. Now, what I pleasure, do, I really appreciate it. So, so a lot of my clients are adult children of alcoholics mm-hmm. and okay. they want tools. So they feel out of control. They end up in relationships with people that they think they can fix. And they're not aware that they gravitate towards people that they think they can fix. They fall in love with people who have generally have many problems or issues that they think they can solve. So if they meet someone at a party who is a little down and out on their luck and they're looking for a job, then someone who has codependency as a result of being raised by an alcoholic, a lack, there's no sense of self. Love is conditional. I have to prove myself worthy to you. So someone Mm. who has that Mm. mindset will be highly attracted to someone who has a need that they can fill because now suddenly I have value. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, that doesn't work over time because if someone's irresponsible, they're irresponsible and you're taking over what they need to do in their life is only going to make them more irresponsible, but it's happening below the veil of consciousness. You know, one of my taglines is it's not you, it's your programming. And are you living above or below the veil of consciousness? Are you breaking patterns? Because if you're not, you're recreating them. So a lot of my clients struggle when they start to wake up. Why did I marry a third narcissistic husband? Or why do I keep attracting alcoholics or men or women that refuse to work? Or they lie to me. They're stealing from me. You know, why does this keep happening? Well, you know, I have discovered in my own life because I'm the grandchild of, of alcoholics and my mother, father, well, my mom was an alcoholic. She just didn't drink. So she was a dry drunk, you know, she was a dry alcoholic. And so I was still raised by alcoholics. So I am the adult child of alcoholics. And what my parents did, they were super controlling. They were unable to reach us on an authentic level emotionally So Mm. they thought that if they controlled our grades, if they controlled the way we look, if they controlled how much we ate, then everything should be okay. (laughs) Right? If they had little soldiers, then that meant they were good. If the walls were white and the hedges were trimmed, right, and the garbage was pulled out to the curb every Tuesday, everything, that meant everything was okay. It was a very superficial life. And so- We learned as children to be hypervigilant around my mom and dad, watch everything they do for a clue as to how to gain their approval or to avoid getting beat, to avoid criticism. Just keep watching them. Because if if anything was out of place, that threw them off. Ms. Romana, I'm hearing you speak. And I have to tell you, everything that you've mentioned, I went through exactly the same in my familial structure. And that's why I giggled, not with glee, but hearing it 
it's more and more revelation. You can agree with me on this. As far back as, let's say, the 90s, there were an intent, or there was rather an intention by the media to highlight the concept of abuse, which I'll put in inverted commas. Think of films like Sleeping with the Enemy by uh, Julia Roberts. Think of Enough in 2002 with Jennifer Lopez. But those two were just, you know, perceived as fiction. Let's move on to the 2010s where this podcast that was done by Christopher Gifford called Dirty John came to light. All of a sudden, a whole new kettle of fish came to the horizon. And the thing is, with regards to uh, control by an adult alcoholic or an adult child having suffered so much by what you have just mentioned, there's a bit of them that disappears. And what do I mean by that? There's no self-image. There's no uh, self-confidence. And often we, as, as the people who have suffered from it, often tend to dampen the hurt. Because you mentioned yourself, you had to learn how to survive. You had to learn how to adapt. On and on and on and on and on. And you almost forget that experience. But it rears its ugly head in so many ways. Until ultimately you have to realize, oh man, I have a stilted side inside of me. Have clients who have come to you for counseling in that experience more or less the same parameters as I've just laid out? Perfectly. You know, and that's why I talk about it the way that I do. That's why I have the YouTube channel. That's why I have so many social media posts. Because when you're unaware, you're unaware, you're unaware. You don't know. I didn't know I didn't have, yes, a ma'am. I did not know I did not have a sense of self, right? I did not know that I was asleep or asleep. I did not know that I was acting out childhood patterns. I had no freaking clue. I thought because I'm walking, I'm talking, I'm giving birth. I must be real. I must be animated. I must, I must be speaking from this, this self. No, I was just reacting to what was welling up inside of me. I was seeking validation. I thought that it was good to be selfless. It was good to put my partner first. It was good to like deny my own needs. I thought I was doing everything right. I had no clue. I had no self. How does a child know that they have a self except through a mother and a father looking into this baby's eyes saying, you are enough. I love you. Now, when the child feels emotionally seen, then the child psychologically develops a schema for the self, for the person that they are, the being that they are. When that is absent because your parents aren't connected to themselves and they have an addiction issue and they're trying to survive and they don't even know that they're aware, children are born, they aren't heard, they aren't seen, and they don't know it. That's That to me is the the damage that takes place when there's a narcissistic parent, when there's addiction in a family system, when parents are, are alcoholic, when people parents are emotionally immature, you're not getting it. You're not connected to the self. And if you can't connect to the self, you're reacting to your childhood trauma and you're never gonna be able to validate that child at a heart level to the point where psychologically, neurologically, they develop a schema for a healthy sense of self. So if that is missing, I don't freaking know it. I don't know it. 
And then what happened in my life? I mean, how many of us, if I was still married to my ex-husband, well, I'd probably be dead or I would be an alcoholic. I would be a mess or I'd have cancer Mm. because I just kept giving and giving and giving and giving. And I was so frustrated and my body began to fail because energetically cannot keep giving without receiving and live very long. You can't because Mm. you need to be energized. And if you're not coming from an authentic place and you're coming from this place of lack and you don't know it, you're trying to get water or blood out of a rock. And so many codependents and adult children of alcoholic marry or attract narcissists or people on the spectrum. Mm. And they love you chasing them. They love stonewalling you. They love watching you dance like you're on fire because they're ignoring you. Because then they get to mm. say, look what a crazy biatch you are. Right. It's you. It's not mm. me. And you as a codependent or the adult child of an alcoholic or someone who's been abused and now you have a dependency upon this narcissistic person, you don't know you're not honoring yourself. You don't know it. And that's the problem. And that's why I take every opportunity I can to talk about it. If you are the adult child of an alcoholic, you don't have a healthy sense of self. You are acting out childhood patterns and you don't know it. It's a lot. I mean, what is the solution here? I mean, you are giving the message. You are sending out the message as much as you can because it is complicated, Very. but it's, it's so important. I mean, Chris, what do you feel right now? I see that you had some tears. What, what are you feeling? What's coming up for you? A lot of memories. Um, I am the adult child of an alcoholic and a narcissist. But it was only up until 2018 that myself and my family structure became educated on narcissism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of groundwork that needs to be done. You know, um, recovery of self-image. As you mentioned, I didn't realize that there was an acting out of childhood patterns. Uh, I'm on the spectrum. I'm AS. So it's a, it's a revelation. But what is the cure to echo Daniela's question? I think, well, for me, what, you know, I always come up with these, um, you know, um, clever one-liners because I think they stick. So one of them is you can't fix a hole in the wall you can't see. Right. So the first thing is to recognize what's wrong. There's a problem here. And oftentimes people like you and I, we don't know what's wrong until we hear a podcast or we see something on Facebook or some, we read a book. It's like, oh, and we identify that's the power of a label. That's mm-hmm. the power. Mm-hmm. When I was diagnosed with depression and codependency, I was like, hallelujah, there's a name for what I feel. <laughs> I'm not crazy. Like right. if this, this is a thing. This is a thing that I am. There must be a solution. And so I studied and studied. I've been studying for over 20 years, codependency, ACOA stuff, trying to figure out solutions. And so I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to identify, right? So it's like, you know, my blood sugar is all over the place. Oh, I I get an A1C. Oh, my blood sugar is a little erratic. So now I know I have to, that's the problem. And now I can find a solution. So if I, what I did just to give you guys a little, a little, uh, background when I realized, Please do, 
when I realized the depth of the lack of self, I was horrified because it was like this existential crisis. Who am I? Mm. Who, right. Who's doing the thinking? Yeah. Where, where are these thoughts coming from? Because they're not mine. Right. They're a recorded message. They're in the subconscious mind. Mm. My superego just thinks these are correct norms, but they're not. They're maladaptive, but they're a coping strategy. It's all I know. So I walked around for a while, like feeling very almost, almost drunk, like what the hell is happening in my head? And then what I set out to do is I got very, very pragmatic. And I decided I'm just going to focus on what it was supposed to be like for me. Okay. What does a healthy child receive? And then I just began to study child psychology. I got involved with Eric Erickson's stages of emotional development. And right off the bat, I thought, oh, wow, I'm screwed. Because by the time you're 18 months, you're supposed to develop this sense of trust. And I know I didn't because my mother and father would talk about how much I cried and the neighbors called the police. Oh, you know, she, she poured salt and pepper on me, stuck me in the oven at 15 months. Like, I'm not kidding. She thought that was funny for crying. Like, oh no. Yeah. So they thought that was funny. Right. But it's a little crazy. But so studying this, it became very obvious to me that there were things that I missed. I never felt seen. I never felt heard. I never felt compassion. I never felt empathy. And I mean, never. I felt the opposite. I felt disdain. I felt disgust. I felt you're bad. You're unworthy. We don't want you. You're a pain in the ass. Like, you're so needy. All you do is complain. You're never happy. Right? So that's what I felt. So then I realized, well... How do I reparent myself or my inner child? So I set out every single day for months, possibly even years, I decided that I was going to start at the ground up. No matter what I felt, I was going to validate it. No matter what I felt, I was going to acknowledge it. So I came up with an acronym, WAVE. Witness, acknowledge, validate, and have empathy for whatever emotion I'm experiencing. Because that's what I needed when I was a child. Right. So that, but that took a lot of um, accountability because there were things popping up in my head that I wasn't proud of. Like, look at that. Hey, ask for an example. Well, look at that skinny so-and-so. Who does she think she is bopping around like that, going to the gym? I have three kids. Who's watching her kids? I wish okay. I had the freedom to do that. Yeah. Okay. And all of a sudden, I started hearing my own negativity and observing it. So I knew I have to start somewhere. So Lisa, just witness it. You're feeling envious. You're feeling stuck. You're feeling frustrated. At the end, as I started working that through, it was like, because you never ask for what you need. You don't feel worthy. Mm. You think mm. that you have to do everything by yourself. Because God forbid you ask for help, your husband, your mother, your father are going to call you selfish. Mm. So your feelings of, of frustration are being projected out into this world. And on an energetic level, law of attraction language, I'm actually pushing away the reality that I want. Yes. Okay. So Very I, insightful. Witness, acknowledge, I validated my, of course you feel frustrated. And I had empathy for that young mom that was feeling super frustrated by all of these overwhelming responsibilities, many of which were my ex-husband's because in my opinion, he was irresponsible. 
And that's what happens when you're codependent. You just keep picking up the slack. You just keep, keep mm. piling it on. And we don't ask for help. We don't know how to ask for help. So I began witness, acknowledge, validate, and have empathy for. I also developed an, an emotional detachment technique. It's the one, two, three process. So on top of that, what I would do is I would accept how I feel. I would feel it in my body because I was very detached from my body. And I knew I had to reconnect to my body in order to feel integrated. So I would accept how I feel. The second step was to feel it in your body. Where in my body am I feeling this frustration? How do I know I'm feeling it? What's the signal? Because I wanted to get reconnected with my guidance system. I wanted to get out of my mm -hmm. head. And so I would feel it in my body. And the third step was, Lisa, you have to make a decision. Because we don't make decisions. We get stuck between level two and level three. We're just angry. We're frustrated. It festers. We distract ourselves. We do something to get busy. And we never get to the bottom of what we're doing. So the third step is, is the money step. And that is, I have to make a decision. And so I have to make a decision based on what I can't... I have to decide what I can't control. So... Let's say, I always use this analogy, I don't know why, but let's say my sister moves into the neighborhood and she wants me to watch her dog again. And now I'm frustrated. I don't know how to say no. I'm used to saying yes. If I say no, the family's going to talk about me. I'm going to be the big bitch on the block. I'm not going to be invited for Thanksgiving. If I'm not invited for Thanksgiving, they're going to call this cousin and that cousin. I'm going to get, here we go, ruminating down a rabbit hole, right? Mm, yes. So... Yeah. And so the, I have to make a decision. So what can't I control? I can't control how I feel because I'm already anxious about it and that's okay. I can't control that she's entitled. I can't control that she asked me, but what can I control? I can control whether or not I say yes or no. Sure. And the third step is how do I want to feel? Because we need a goal. We don't have a goal. We focus on what we don't want and we never focus on what we do want. So we spin our wheels and spin our wheels and spin our wheels. So we have to have a mindset shift. And so the shift is, well, what, how do I want to feel? And you have to think, mm -hmm. you have to be honest and it can't be based on, I want her to like me. Screw that. Yeah. No, no. It has to be a, a, what you can control. How do you want to feel? For me, I want to feel ease. I want to feel peaceful. I want to feel like I'm honoring myself. I want to feel like I have the freedom to say no. I want to feel like I'm the boss of my life. I want to feel independent of what other people think about me. That's how I want to feel. Okay, so what decision are you going to make based on that criteria? I'm going to say no. Hmm. Okay. So it's massive action. I mean, you're really... You took some big steps to get yourself in a different mind frame. So like, for example, for me, when I got sober years and years, you start to really see other people in your life and, you know, how they act. And my mother just moved to Florida and my father passed. And there's uh, certain mannerisms that I remember as a child that I just don't put up with anymore. It's not part of my routine. I don't put awesome. up with the silent treatment and the, and the, you know, the just, I think you probably know what I'm talking about. It's the, it, it, there's certain things that she has never changed that don't work for me, you know, work for me anymore. And so I'm constantly going, I'm kind of laughing now. 
You know, I I look and I say, here it is again. I can walk away. I don't have. And then when I don't show up, she apologizes. She makes sense of herself and she tries really hard not to do it again. And she's getting better. It's just not acceptable. I think that's so important. What you're sharing is because when you change, other people are forced to change or they leave. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. Because your energy has shifted. You have a different boundary. You have a different emotional set point, a different homeostasis point. In other words, like what you tolerated before might have been down here. Now it's up here. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to change. You're not willing to go back. You know too much. It's like toothpaste that's out of the tube. I know too much. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know what? You try, to pull me down. you try to pull me down. I see you. I got your number. It's not going to work. And so you hold, you hold that line, right? And now mom either has to, she either resonates with that or she avoids you. But either way, you can't move anymore. You can't, you can only go up from here. Yeah. And it's really amazing that the people that really love you and maybe they're immature or maybe they are not very self-aware, the more self-aware you become, you force them to be aware of yourself. And if they're just not going to resonate with you, they got to go. And you have to accept that because you're here to grow spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and psychologically. And it's kind Amen of cool because, you know, you can be the example for people yeah. that like don't have, I'm talking funny because some they put Botox in my lips and now I can't move them. Sorry. Oh my gosh. No, but, I didn't even notice. Uh, like, for instance, my father, you know, he passed, but he used to ask me for a lot of advice. And this guy was like the guy I always went to for advice. And I just really, you know, try to use the program that I've learned and the principles of the program out into the world, because there are so many people that have not a clue and they never will, but at least they can see, you know, little planting of seeds of, of a decent human. Cause there's some really fucked up people out there you know and so it, it's it's just a matter of keeping the word out and people like you who are experts and like you have a system that you developed is it is it a class or how what is it exactly so i developed the 12-week breakthrough codependency coaching program and so it's an online class every week we deliver a new lesson and it's really built upon the science of learning Mm. Knowing that codependency, ACOA stuff, it's repetition, observation, and consistency. That's, and we also, it's important that people understand that every child is in a hypnotic brainwave state. Literally, I'm not kidding, did not make this up. Every child is in a hypnotic brainwave state up until the age of seven. You're in a state of hypnosis. And so if you are consistently watching abuse, if you are consistently neglected, you are downloaded to neglect the self. This becomes your blueprint for a relationship with the self. How your mother and father treated you is how you're going to treat yourself. And so if your feelings were ignored, you're going to ignore yourself, right? And then whatever relationship was modeled for you, that becomes your schema for a future relationship. And so we are post hypnotic. So, um, so my program is really, it's really an evolution of consciousness because the only way you're going to heal is if you revolutionize your consciousness, Einstein says you can't solve a problem with the same level of intelligence that created it. 
So many of us are trying to solve the problem without increasing our consciousness. It's not going to work. That's why you keep marrying the same person. Love so that. you have to understand it's your consciousness that has to be elevated. You mm. can't elevate mm. your consciousness without self-awareness. And so I created a program that's built on meditation because I want to get you at the theta brainwave state. I want to mm. address the wounds at that level, at the hypnotic brainwave state, at the theta level that were downloaded into you when you were an impression, impressionable child. Right where, right go to right at the core of where all of these wounds were created. And so we, I create the guided meditations, then as a video lesson. So you get a video lesson, a guided meditation, journaling prompts, self-inquiring. I mean, and you can see, I'm like, I've been called the Marine, a Marine. Like I'm an emotional recovery <laughs> Marine. Like I ran, we're jumping into the foxhole. I don't want to waste your freaking time. Yeah. Right. I don't want to waste sure. You know, our brains all work the same way. So if we've suffered emotional neglect, regardless of why, the, co the consequences are pretty much going to be the same neurologically and psychologically. And so that's why the program works in all countries. It doesn't matter where you come from. It works because our brains all work the same way. And so, again, it's a video guided meditation, journaling prompts. You rip off the Band-Aid. There's homework. There's an assessment. Um, there's also a transcript of the meditations. And it really is built on the idea of repetition, observation, and consistency. We want to unlearn the survival strategies you learned that your brain associates with pleasure and will also associate pain with letting go. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when I stopped and thought about it, and yes, that's what I associated with. So my survival, my brain, the brain, pain versus pleasure. So if I associate pleasure with toning down because I'm afraid, mm -hmm. then I associate pain with speaking up. Mm. But that's the answer. So the, the class really over 12 weeks, we address this sticking point. We're hijacking the brain. We're, hijack, we're hijacking our emotional selves. We're hijacking the consequences of trauma bit by bit in a very non-aggressive way so okay. that people feel supported. And it's like, oh, that aha moment, that breakthrough moment, that, oh, my God, lions and tigers and bears, oh, my. All of a sudden, these, these light bulbs go off in the head. But it's so important that people understand that healing from alcoholism, healing from codependency, which is like a relationship addiction, mm -hmm. what we're asking people to do, and my heart breaks to everybody because I've been there, I get it. What I'm asking you to do is this is your life raft. It's the only thing that you know, and I'm asking you to let go. Hmm. Right, surely. And when and you what let is the, go, when sorry, you, only, only when you let go does the land appear. When of you course. let go, and you learn to swim, that land appears and it gets closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. So the mind has been designed to hold on to things that keep it safe. And it associates pain with letting go of that survival strategy. So if I am reliant upon a narcissist because he's moved me across the country and I, I gave up my career, I'm relying on him for financial you know, reasons. Now you're asking me to let go or to observe, see him as a narcissist. Ooh, that's scary. It's so much safer if I minimize the abuse, right? So the brain is going to be triggered. And so we have to help people override 
the brain's natural default setting to buck anything that's scary. Ooh. Fair. I understand that. And ma'am, please forgive me. I didn't mean to interrupt. I wanted to ask, since underwriting and um, specializing as a coach, what has the success rate been from people who have applied with you? Well, I'll put it this way. We've had neuroscientists come into the program, psychologists, therapists, and social workers, and all of them have said it's groundbreaking. Now, nothing's a magic bullet. Nothing's a magic bullet. But I would say... If 100 people came into the class, 99% of them saw a vast difference in their ability to set boundaries, speak their truth, confront the fear of breaking a codependent pattern. And so I would say, I think that's a fair estimate. So let's just, let's say 98% of people come out thinking, wow, I have some tools. I have so much more self-understanding and I feel so much more empowered on a daily basis. That's, that's, that's wonderful key. to hear. You know, because yeah, I think so. people walk into a therapy office and they'll talk for a year. And like me, I didn't get anything out of it. Yes. On the last day before I left, something occurred where it, something came up from my childhood. But before that, there were no tools. It was me talking and I didn't really get it. Like, I, yes, I think it's wonderful for, you know, certain reasons, but something like this seems like really, like you said, groundbreaking, because there are so many issues still in this 48 year old mind that I have that I would like for me personally, I think something like this would be very helpful. Anyone really, you don't mm-hmm. even have to have these type of people in your life just to want to be empowered. I right. Would. It's really, so I, I believe that there are many levels of consciousness and they exist on a spectrum, but you know, I believe that our our journey here is to learn how to be equanimous under duress. In other words, like I need to learn how to be in a state of surrender and my happiness and my my happiness cannot be dependent on what's happening in the political field. It can't be dependent upon whether or not my kids get along. It can't be dependent on whether or not it rains or it snows. I can't. My happiness has to be completely my own responsibility. Right. And that's what I want. You know, so if bad things happen, I want to stop saying it's bad or it's good because that's an attachment. It's just an experience. The minute I say that's bad, my brain is triggered. Cortisol gets triggered. Fight or flight gets triggered. Why is it that someone else might have an experience that I think is so minimal, but to them it's huge because of trauma or because they haven't worked it out, but I don't want to be triggered. I don't want you to have control over me. You know, I want to be able to read a review and say, okay, that's their opinion. I'm going to be dead one day. Do I really care about a negative review? I'm doing the best that I can. Right. Everybody's (laughs) opinion. It reminds me of my career. Yeah, it happens. Right. But if we're attached to anything outside of us, we're giving power over to that thing, whether it's alcohol. Naturally. Yeah marijuana whether it's sex whether it's money whether it's a house whether it's prestige whether it's reviews whether it's youtube subscribers no no and the world is built you know facebook annoys the crap out of me every time i go on facebook it's like oh your analytics are down i'm like screw you mark zuckerberg i really don't care i'm doing the best (laughs) i can i'm not going to be controlled by your desire to freak me out that my page views are going down. I'm not doing it. I'm not, I don't want you to control me. 
Well put, Miss Romano. No, no well so put. I'm going to be happy no matter what because I'm doing what I love. I'm leaving the world a better place, I feel, and soon it'll be over for me. Or, you know, maybe I'll have another 50 years, God willing. But I want to be as happy and as blissful and not attached as I possibly can be because in that space, I can enjoy everything, even the not so pleasant. I can enjoy everything, you know, um, and that's really my goal. And I think that we need to help people understand that's the goal, not what people think about you. Right, surely, surely. Right? No, good on you. Good on you. (laughs) Because we can get really hung up, right? So I think we need to really teach people that, like getting back to the the topic, it's like, I just want to answer that question. Adult children of alcoholics, adult children of narcissists, we have a fear of losing control because... uh, controlling everything was our survival strategy. It was the way we coped. And so our homes were so unpredictable. Our parents were so unpredictable emotionally. We never knew who was going to walk in the door. You know, um, I remember my mother yelling at me because I was too emotional. And then when I said, okay, I guess the answer is to like not show emotion. Then she'd say, oh, look at Lisa. She's such a cold fish. Then I really felt effed up because I didn't know how to be. Like I was, so then I just got numb. Right. And so I learned to control my emotions. And so if things happened outside of me that were upsetting and I started to feel anxious, then I tried to control the other person's emotion by people pleasing and fawning. Yeah. So control everything is a coping strategy. My message is you don't have to live that way anymore. You can let that go. But it takes time because your brain has been set to default. And the default is control everything because you associate pleasure with controlling everything. We have to change that belief. We have to hijack your brain. I hear you. That's a lot to take in. But in essence as well, from what I'm taking, what I'm taking from what you're saying, uh, Ms. Romano, is at the end of the day, take ownership, but at the same time, let go of ownership. Yeah. So reprogramming the brain in that uh, pyramid of things. Mm-hmm. But bringing it to you now, how is your lifestyle viewpoint, how has your entire existence changed ever since you've undertaken this sort of, of work? Look, you're clearly outspoken, but I'm talking with regards to mindset specifically. I'm sure you must be in a much better space now today than what you ever were previously. I, You know... It sounds so kumbaya-ish and hippy-dippy, but it really is. Like, once you get to a point where you don't, you love yourself so much and you find that your value, I believe that I'm an extension of source. I believe that the same source that created the tree created me. That's pretty cool. And I have nothing to prove to anyone. And when I thought that I did, I was really reacting to the echo of my mother's voice. That's how she controlled me. And, and that was in my head. I have to prove myself. I have to prove myself. And as I rewired my brain and I reestablished a new set point. So my homeostasis was very negative back in the day. I had anxiety and panic disorder and depression. I had stomach issues. I had rashes. I was being treated, tested for cancer and MS. I'm like, I was a mess. I had Sounds like my asthma. life right now. <laughs> Jesus. I had asthma. I mean, I got divorced. It all went away. 
you know, um, wow. you know, and I just started really taking care of myself and loving myself. Um, so it sounds so hippy dippy, but mm -hmm. when you really find yourself and you work on yourself and personal development and emotional recovery, emotional sobriety, that becomes your goal and F everybody else who gets in the way. Like I'm serious. <laughs> Yeah. Like anybody that gets in the way with you being able to maintain a boundary or emotionally regulate, they're not worth keeping around because rabbit holes exist. Depression is real. Anxiety is real. You know, needing to drink to avoid pain, it's there. It's available. So anybody that messes with my emotional sobriety, you're just not worth keeping around. Um, so there was a there was there was a time for me to cocoon myself, but now I'm at a point where I could hang out with you and you can call me names and I'll just say, Chris, I'm really sorry you feel that way, you know. Um, but you're entitled to your opinion, and you know what? I'm going to go and think about it. But I love myself, you know, like, and, it's okay. and it's okay because I understand that everybody projects through a trauma lens. You're just not aware of it. I might remind you of a narcissistic sister. You're entitled to feel what you feel, dear one. It's okay. So learning not to take other people's criticisms personally is so liberating. And so where I used to be the type of person, for example, I use this, this, uh, this metaphor. So if you're driving down the street, you know, you've got two people in the car. One person notices the car accidents, the scratches on people's car, and the roadkill. <laughs> and the other person's like, Wow, do you see the size of that tree? And look at the sun and look at those. That's me these days. Like, I know this is this all exists, but I'm so detached from it or or unattached or unbothered by it. I'm in a complete state of surrender to chaos. I surrender. It's not my stuff. I don't expect anything to be different than what it is. Yeah. I don't expect anyone to change because mm -hmm. I've learned to change myself. And as I, and if there's something that pops in me up, pops up in me that I don't like, if I find that I'm attached to something or I expect someone to change or I'm upset because someone isn't the way I want them to be, that's my issue. That's not that person's issue. That's on me. Mm. Yeah. That's on me. So I'm either, I either have to surrender to the situation, bow out of the situation, or I have to change my perception of the situation. But the other person, that person has shown up to show me something about myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful place to be. I mean, since 2016, I've launched maybe five coaching programs. Wow. That's a wow. Lot. Yeah. Dang. Like, yeah. It, since 2016, I went from like maybe 100, 200 YouTube subscribers to almost 600,000 YouTube subscribers. Oh, amazing. You, you know, are and amazing. I, I watch you constantly, constantly. Yeah, so I feel like I found, I found my sweet spot, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm remarried. My husband and I, we have, he has three children. I have three children. Um, my life is completely inverted in a good way. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody could do it. You know, it's just, you know, there's a pattern that you can follow, a path. And I do believe that there are universal laws. And I do think that we can bend nature to our will if you can obey the laws of nature. It's not, I remember studying sunflowers and I'm like, it's so interesting that sunflowers ebb towards the light. If you're codependent, you ebb towards the dark. Yeah. You don't move towards your own light. You give other people permission and you give them the power over your light. Oh, if you think I'm good, then I'm good. 
No, you're just good. You're just good. So as you redirect your mindset towards, I am good, I am enough, I am worthy. I might not be perfect. My subconscious programming might be messed up, but that's not my fault. Right? It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Sure. So when I where you're coming from. That helps me depersonalize my own screwed upness. It's not my fault. It's not me. It's my programming. Mm. I just want to throw out there, we have a lot of guests on here. And if anyone wants to come on stage and ask Lisa a question or talk about an experience, please, you know, let us know and we'll pull you guys up. Sometimes it's scary, you know, and and the one thing that, I mean, I worked with the woman once for our first session, all she did was cry. And I said to her, all you have to do is pick up the phone next week and I will do nothing but talk. And that went on for a few weeks because she did not, her mind was so scrambled from abuse from childhood and her own, the voices in her head that were so negative and self-sabotaging and self-deprecating that find her voice. So I stepped as her voice for a few weeks and bit by bit, she was able to articulate how she felt and little by little, we were able to string together how she was feeling. And that's eventually, that's how her transformation unfolded. And I, that's why I love working with adult children of alcoholics because they need work. They don't even know that they have, they need. I had no clue. I I can appreciate that. Yeah. Because it's that consistent cloud of confusion that just doesn't work. That just simply won't let you go. Forgive me for not expressing myself clearly there. But, uh, you know, I had to take ownership of the fact that the moment that I had to literally put up a boundary, and I'll be blatant, I pulled a gun on uh, my estranged father, and I said, get out, and if I ever see you again, I'm going to pull the trigger. And uh, I took ownership of that. I took ownership of that, and now I'm just reprogramming my mind through a a similar program to take ownership of that. What if that is your superpower and that you're not willing to compromise what it is that you hold dear to ensure that you have a brighter tomorrow looming? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I think what we have to do, part of what I would, you know, if you had told me that in a session, I would say, Chris, of course you did. Talk to me about why, what was your frustration? What were you feeling? Like why, why and what happened to make you feel like you had to go that far because there are reasons. Well, I'll give you the long and the short of it. Uh, In 2011, I was held in my house in an armed robbery. Myself, my mother, and my estranged father. It came out in the rub that it was a concocted armed robbery so that my father could commit insurance fraud. Wow. And um, there was a lot of pseudo-sexual abuse. To give you an idea, I was uh, in the shower, and my father would just stand in the corner and just look at me with perverse eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this was a culmination of more than 20 years. Mm-hmm. There are other highlights as well, but there's just not enough time for it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, when my parents had gotten divorced, I was sober about three years, and eventually he came back to get the rest of his stuff, and I asked him a simple question because his goods were lying all over the drive, and I just said, are you going to move your uh, stuff away? And he 
cursed at me underneath his breath, and I thought, forget this business. Turned, made a U-turn in my car, pulled out, and I said, if you've got something to say to me, say to my face, be a man. Mm-hmm. Now, you know this as well as I. The moment that you show power against the abuser or the narcissist, insert whichever is applicable, the moment that you show power back, a pussyfoot. And because I've seen that recurring pattern consistently, that's what tempted me, well, not tempted me, proved the urge to pull out and say, you're not coming near me again. Mm-hmm. You're just going to smuggle with my brain and I'm not going to let you in there any longer. Mm-hmm. And surely to goodness, the next day he was gone, never to be seen again. Well, it sounds to me and like... I don't miss him. Go ahead, sorry. And I don't miss him. No, of course not. No. I forgive him, mm-hmm. but that's as far as it goes. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I think that was a very powerful um, breakthrough moment where you found the gun was your way of defending yourself and the inner child in a way that you couldn't do before, and it was a very mm-hmm. powerful message. You know, it sounds like it was about the message. Like you can't mess with me anymore, and that's proof. See this gun? It's proof. Like, if there's any doubt in your mind, this is proof. And I can understand, you know, you being pushed to that point where you needed that moment and he needed that moment to know that you saw him for who he was. Correct. And, uh, Ms. Romano, what is said about the whole ordeal is the fact that, uh, look, gender-based violence is a double-edged sword. Sadly, the media perpetuates it as only a one singular gender, right. but it's women and men who right. get abused. I Narcissists see. can be women and they can be men. Yep. It's not just one-sided, Correct. but it's now more than ever that education should be of utmost imperative importance yep. so that we can start seeing the truth for what it is. Correct. To tell you the truth, ma'am, I don't regret what happened to me. Mm -hmm. And I'll be very honest with you, I don't ever think that pain will go away. Mm -hmm. I think one will manage it. I've learned how to to manage with it, you know, decent self-care and so on and so forth. And when that time arises where where I have to relive that experience, it's my superpower. The fact that I can still have empathy and the fact that I can still empathize with one another mm-hmm. and the fact that I can draw lines in the sand whenever I feel that there, there, there's um, unsavory, the feeling is unsavory, that's, that's power. So there's a lot of life lessons in that, but then again, it's the mind. It's that mind switch. Yep. So... Um, Ma'am, I have to really congratulate you on, on what you have done. You know, you and I have walked the same path. And uh, how you have recovered, of course, I've got one lexicon, you have another lexicon, and, and so on and so forth. The fact is we survived, and we're using our collective experiences to share with one another wherever we um, should find people that come across our path and need it most. And yep. I tip my hat to you. Really, I faithfully tip my hat to you. I to you as well. I think one of the things that you're, that we also, something that's happened, I would say over the last 10 years is that 
we're giving one another permission to demystify the idea that all mothers are motherly and all fathers are fatherly. That's just not the case. And, you know, we have Mother's Day and Father's Day and not all parents are loving and nurturing and a lot of damage is done you know, in innocuous ways, as well as very perverse ways and intentional ways. So I think that it's really important that adult children of alcoholics, adult children of narcissistic parents, we give one ourselves mm. ourselves permission to discuss that because when sure. we do, other people are listening and they're able, and if you can't identify the hole in the wall, you can't fix it. So if you've been abused by a narcissistic mom, but your mom guilts you, oh, look at everything I've done for you. Like you're so selfish and you're supposed to take care of me and you're supposed to want to do this. And you're being guilted into taking care of a narcissistic mother. Then you don't know that that's actually abusive unless someone else says it. You just think this is my mom. And I need to be loyal to her. But you don't realize there's an emotional dependency that's been placed upon you so that the mom can remain in control over you. And that will destroy Mm -hmm. your ability to create success in your career. It'll destroy your ability to have success in relationships. And it'll also hurt your relationships with any future children that you might have. So us us talking about parents who have these issues, I think is very powerful. Because for far too long, it's been like, you know, leave it to Beaver and the Brady Bunch, which is a bunch of malarkey anyway. So we have to have <laughs> real talk and survivors like I survived it. Yes, this happened, but I survived it. And you can too, but not without acknowledging the pain that these parental relationships have caused you because you have a right to feel that, validate, mm-hmm. validate it, and step out boldly. Fantastic. I see that we have a request for someone to speak. We have Fletcher on the line. Fletcher, welcome to Doing It Sober Live. What do you have for Miss Lisa A. Romano? Well, how you, how you doing, sir? I, I like to go by the name of Mr. Two Extra. My question is that do you believe that there's different variables that your life can play in, but overall get the same goal? I'm not sure. Can you expand on that question? Okay. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, I said this girl, she goes to high school and she graduated on time. Then within four years, she's ordained to be rich. Let's say that she doesn't do it in that exact order. She gets pregnant and everything that she's supposed to do in college is hold back. Now she's 65 years old, but she was ordained to be rich. So she's rich now, but she's just rich at 65. Do you feel that that is a possible or do you believe in that that theory? Um, I, I, me, to be quite frank, I believe that we'd have to like sit down and talk to this person and figure out what is her mindset at every stage because we tend to get what we expect. So if I expect that I'm going to be rich and obviously then I'm going to take action that allows that to happen. I'm going to be responsible with money. I'm going to invest my money wisely. Um, I'm going to be responsible. But if something happens and let's say I get pregnant in college and or I get pregnant in high school and I don't go to college, even though I don't think you necessarily have to go to college, become wealthy at all. But it really does depend on what happens in my psyche at that point when this this happens. So I'm going along and then there's a point 
that where something happens, an ex external experience happens in my life that throws me off course or jacks with my belief system. So if a young woman doesn't believe that she can be wealthy and have had a, had a baby at a point in her life where she wasn't ready, I'd be more concerned about that belief system than mm -hmm. anything. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. It makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Fletch. I, I just want Yes. If I can add to what uh, Ms. Romana has been saying, I've been following a gentleman out of Utah who has said more or less the same thing. Always remember, with regards to either a business or a brand, you being a person, the ratio is three to five. Three years to create a visibility, five years to start bearing the fruit, or if I could be more a layman than that, to literally show a profit in your business. But ultimately, the ratio is not just 3-5, it's 3-5-10. Three years to establish yourself, five years to reap the, the profit, ten years to ultimately create an empire. And in that 3-5-10 ratio, you are going to experience pitfalls bar none. Referring to what you had mentioned with your lady friend who is thinking that she will be rich and she had the uh, child in the meantime, all of that creates life lessons to ultimately either enrich you or cripple you. It's all dependent on the mindset. I said to Ms. Romano exactly the same with regards to my experience as well. I choose to take the experiences that I've had, see them as life lessons, not that it in any sort of way should be seen as a crutch. It's more of a fact of what have I taken out of this? It's a tool in my toolbox, but now I'm going to take ownership of my mistakes, take those life lessons, and go positively forward. And if I'm feeling like I am in need of something, I'll talk to someone, but each to his own, and that occasion will arise at the appointed time period. And I hope that has helped you as well. Yes, yes, sir. Yes. Um, for All right. I got a that basically whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. And depending on how you look at it and how you go through it. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I think it's important that we really understand that what we expect to happen is usually what happens. And so it's, we, we will experience things in the outer world that represent what we feel and what we believe and what we expect to happen. So we always want to make sure that we are consciously, we are literally consciously imagining the best possible outcome, no matter how bad it is in the now. You know, we're expecting good to happen. We're expecting recovery to happen. We're expecting that things are going to line up for us because if we expect the opposite and what was going to happen is we're not going to push ourselves to experience the abundance or the expectation of abundance that we would if we forced ourselves to, like what Chris is saying, see this as a life lesson and make the best of it. Correct. Make the best of your life for the rest of your life. That's right. I don't want to uh, sound like a party pooper, but we've exceeded our time. Fletcher, thank you so much for your input. And Miss Romano, apologies from Daniela. She lost connection on her end, so she can't log back in. But on her behalf and from me as well, thank you so much for your time. I commend you on um, what you have done for your friend and taking the time to speaking with us. And if there's one thing that I can kindly request, and it's, a request that is extremely, extremely, extremely big. Please carry on with what you're doing. You're delivering a gallant service and there's no one else like you. Thank Thanks. you so much for your time. I plan on it. Take care.
<laughs> and from all of us here doing it sober live thank you so much for tuning in we'll be back again next week god willing if you have missed out on the live episode you can catch up on apple itunes or wherever else you get this podcast also on youtube and from all of us here have a lovely lovely week further god bless to you all bye now bye bye